Welcome to the Mini Break, your daily podcast for the biggest storylines, results, and controversies from the tennis world. Today is Monday, May 24th. Westoff, give me all of the celebratory sound effects. I want streamers going off in the background. I want rounds of applause. I just want as much upbeat, positive energy here to start this podcast as possible because sincerely, when you talk about NCAA Championship Saturdays, the conclusion to the 2021 college tennis team season, I cannot imagine a better ending than the one we were delivered here on Saturday. Sincerely, folks, it's the sort of thing that makes me remember why I love college tennis so much, why, in my opinion, it's the best form of the sport we see available today. So rarely do you see tennis played in the team format. So rarely do you see crowds engage with a match the way we saw these crowds engage, not just in person, but on tennis Twitter and throughout the tennis universe with these two finals we saw unfold on Saturday. It was the celebration we deserved, given all of the you know tumultuous nature, I suppose the entire tumultuous nature of these past 15 months. The fact that, let's go back to March of 2020, so much uncertainty surrounding not just college tennis, but obviously the entire world now as it relates to the college tennis season. Once the season was canceled, we were wondering, A, are we ever going to get to see the class of 2020 compete again? Were they really going to go out in that fashion? And, you know, thank Thankfully, the past 15 months unfolded the way they did, and folks, again, we were treated not only to a dramatic, but just such a high level of tennis in our two NCAA championships. Those are going to be the topics of today's podcast. I want to talk about the dramatic, truly thrilling 4-3 victory from the University of Texas over Pepperdine in the women's final. Of course, I have to talk about Florida's first NCAA championship in their men's program history as they come back from dropping the doubles point to knock off the Baylor Bears in what was essentially a home match for the Gators. And believe me, we'll get back to that point a little bit later. I also want to talk about the first few days of the individual event because, of course, I am still recording this podcast from my hotel room in Orlando. I will be here for the remainder of this 2021 Division I college tennis season. And I am so fortunate to be able to be on the call broadcasting so many of these individual matches with our friends on the Tennis One app, and it's worth reminding all of you, if you guys want to catch any individual match, whether it's with broadcast or without the broadcast, you can follow all of the rest of this NCAA action with our friends over at Tennis One. Again, that's the focus of today's podcast. We are going to stick with the NCAA action. Now, of course, there has been phenomenal professional tennis of late Rome, Madrid 1000 level events in the books. We had Stefano Tsitsipas, Paula Bedosa, Jaber, Coco Goff earning titles on the ATP and WTA tours last week. And of course, looming above all of it in six days from now, the start of the 2021 French Open. And rest assured, we're going to have you covered here at Crack Rackets to help prepare all of you listeners for all of the action that it is ahead. I've already sent out the text. Ben Rothenberg will be on the podcast this week. Gil Gross will be on the podcast. Podcast this week, Mark Lucero. I'm going to guarantee. I'm, I'm going to guarantee that one. He's coming on the podcast as well. Uh, we want to ensure all of you listeners have 
all of the information available because for us to be able to transition from an NCAA event to the French Open, I think that's exactly the four-week stretch all of us tennis fans love perhaps more than anything. It's what makes May, in my opinion, the best month on the tennis calendar. But again, the focus of this podcast, I want to recap the two team event finals, start with the women, get to the men, talk about the individual events. Unfortunately, just going to be me, not Chris Halliors or Matt Stokowiak. Maddie had to get back to work after taking a few days off to come enjoy his brother's final run in his college tennis career. Chris Halliors, when he's down here in Orlando, and he is still down here with me for the remainder of the individual event, and we'll get him on the podcast at some point. But, you know, he's got family here in this area, and again, he's got a real day job during the day for me to ask him to take an additional hour, hour and a half when it's the first time he's gotten to see his family, and obviously quite a bit of time as well. That's the perks of vaccinations, folks. Uh, we just unfortunately not going to be able to have them, but rest assured, I'm going to cover it from every angle. I'm going to talk about it from the Texas perspective, the Pepperdine perspective, the Florida perspective, the Baylor perspective, and of course, break down my top contenders for both the men's and the women's individual events. Of course, the reason we're able to do that day in, day out here on this mini break podcast is because of the countless, you know, countless support, endless supports, the better word we get from all of you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family. And by the way, I know I've said this at the start of every podcast. Yeah, my ego is through the roof. I don't think that's ever not the case, but sincerely... um I, to have all of you listeners who have come up to me while I've been at this event in Orlando and say, hey, I recognize that voice. You're Alex Gruskin, right? And normally I say that's what I tell people. I think I'm Alex Gruskin. And you know, so many of you have expressed your fandom of the podcast, your appreciation for what we're doing here at Cracked Rackets. I cannot overstate this fact. You guys doing that? It means the world to us here at Cracked Rackets. I had like an hour and a half phone call yesterday with Jamie McDonald talking about how flattered I am to have so many of you come up and approach me uh, and say such kind words. And sincerely, by the way, if you haven't already, I will always have my white Cracked Rackets hat on. My voice sounds the same in person as it does here on these podcasts. Come say hello. We've only got a few days left in this college tennis season to all of the players, to all of the coaches who have endorsed some of my crazier things. You know how I feel about you. My affection for all of you cannot be measured and of course to all of the parents the fans out there uh, it means the world to be able to engage with all of you that was the purpose of this podcast to bring together college tennis nation that I know is out there I know how many of you are fans of college tennis and perhaps before you didn't have a platform where you could express your fandom or you didn't have someone out there who talked about college tennis the way you and your friends your family talk about it if that's what we're doing here at Cracked Rackets for you that means we're doing our job well so again I am here in Orlando through the home stretch. Come say hello. Come say what up. Come exchange rumors with me as well. That's half the fun of being down here. Sincerely, I was talking to the GOAT, Colette Lewis. I can't imagine there being a better beat in tennis than the college tennis beat. And that to be able to be on the college tennis beat, it means the world to us. So again, come say hello. Thank you for the continued support. Of course, the other people who support us behind the scenes that help make all this coverage possible that allow me to be down here in Orlando are, of course, our friends at Midwest Sports. If you need the best gear at the best prices, go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15 to get 15% off your order free. Two-day shipping on all orders exceeding $75. And best of all, a free can of Wilson Extra Duty Tennis Balls. MidwestSports.com. The promo code is CR15. With that in mind, I know that was a healthy introduction. I feel like there's a lot for us to address there at the top, but now it's time to talk some tennis. And folks, we were treated to a battle. 
what a phenomenal match between the University of Texas and the Pepperdine Waves. Of course, Pepperdine was competing for the first national championship in program history. You talk for these uh, Texas Longhorns. They had been there before, but of course, it had been quite a bit of time since Texas had won the national championship. It was all the way back to 1995, and you guys want to know, for a fact, I was not born the last time the Texas women won a national championship, and neither were any of their players because I made this joke on the Tennis One app. I think it's safe to say the Michigan basketball team, we can retire the Fab Five moniker for them as as good as they were, right? They made back-to-back Final Fours, back-to-back NCAA championships. They never actually won a title. The five Fab Five freshmen for this Texas Longhorns team, they can call themselves national champions. And again, the quality of this match was through the roof. But before we can even talk about the tennis, we have to talk about the atmosphere. If you were at these NCAA championships... You would have never known there was a pandemic these past 15 months. You would have never have known that we haven't been playing in front of fans, that we haven't been able to see college tennis enjoy it the way it deserves to be enjoyed because the NCAA and the U.S. team made the decision to open up the event to 100% capacity for the home stretch. And again, I can speak from a privileged position because I am vaccinated. I don't have to worry about, you know, spreading the virus or getting uh, catching it myself. And I sincerely hope the majority of the crowd was also vaccinated as well and that everyone emerges safe and healthy because it was packed. You know, shoulder to shoulder, every section of the bleachers filled, in particular as the Florida-Baylor match started. And we'll get there when that time arrives. But the crowd legitimately may have made the difference in both of these matches and let's start with the doubles point here for Texas I mean I said it in the preview podcast it was a potential for a changing of the guards I thought Kylie Collins Lulu Sun the two freshmen the power they play with the aggression they play with Kylie Collins may have brought the entire Collins family three generations wide she may have had more fans there individually for her than any other person in college tennis and I mentioned this on an earlier podcast I come from a family that does that as well whenever I'm playing a match you can guarantee both of my parents at least one of my brothers probably a grandparent as well will be in the crowd and that's the case for Kylie Collins as well and her and Lulu's son again they it was just such a fantastic number one doubles match um between them and Lisa Czar, Ashley Leahy. And in fact, it was, you know, two challenge, it was two tiebreakers uh, to decide this NCAA doubles final. Now, uh, you look for uh, Pepperdine, they got off to a fantastic start, and we talked about it all the time. Shiori Fukuda played fantastic in this NCAA tournament, in particular in doubles. And, you know, her and Tazia Pachkaleva, who we're going to talk plenty about when we start breaking down the singles, uh, they earned a 6-1 victory. They took it to Fernanda Lebrana and a Tarati of Texas. It was a 6-1 win. It was the quickest one off the board by a significant margin, and it was so, so impressive to just see the aggression they played with. And it was a different sort of aggression than you're accustomed to because— Natasia Pachkaleva is not comfortable moving forward. She's not trying to get to the net as so many doubles players do. And it was really, really interesting to see them employ a two-back on Fakuda's serve. Fakuda would hit the serve and move forward to the net. And Pachkaleva would still stay back and exchange ground strokes. But guess what? They won those ground strokes exchanges. And then Fakuda was the one being the more aggressive player than any of the four on the court on the net. And, you know, Lebrana 
she was a little, you know, she misfired a little bit. She's got as much firepower as anyone in Tarati, as much craft, creativity, and quickness at the net as anyone, but simply, but Pepperdine took it to them, and look, there were a couple of deuce points. It did feel like all the deuce points broke Pepperdine's way at two, but they put the quick 6-1 lead on the board, and at that point, you felt to yourself, you know what, uh, Pepperdine's probably going to win this doubles point because, you know, it's coming down to two tiebreakers at number one and number three. You look to have, you know, senior in Jessica Fela, Anastasia Imachkine at that position, taking at three doubles, taking on two freshmen in Stearns and Shavatapan to have Zar and Leahy taking on two freshmen in Kylie Collins and Lulu Sun. You just felt like, all right, Pepperdine's probably going to take one of these. And look, you know, Pepperdine actually raced out to a big lead in the tiebreaker at three doubles, I believe. They also had, if not a match point, perhaps a deuce point to get the break in the lead up to that tiebreaker at three doubles. But these freshmen for Texas, they go down swinging. And again, Collins and Son are as aggressive and as proficient as any team I've seen in the country. For them to beat Alana Smith, for them to uh, beat uh, Alana Smith and Anna Rogers in that semifinal against NC State, they were as confident as anyone. It was funny because going into the tiebreaker against Zara and Leahy, and there were a couple of breaks exchanged at that one number one doubles position. And, you know, it was funny. I feel like Ashley Leahy got pegged like four times by Kylie Collins uh, at the next. Well, and she just took it, you know, she, again, she was unfazed. She's like, yeah, congratulations, you won this point. Let's move on to the next one. When it got to a breaker, given that I watched Zarin Leahy overcome a 6-2 deficit to win the tiebreaker at number one doubles and clinch the doubles point for against, uh, against UCLA for their team, I was leaning towards the team of Zarin Leahy. But no, Collins and Son race out to a quick lead, 7-3. Uh, I think they went up like 5-1 in that breaker. They end up taking it 7-3 to earn the first tiebreak. And then look. Imachkine and Fe- uh, and Fela. See, I almost did what they did. Imachkine and Fela were up, were up in the in the tiebreaker at three doubles. They were up five three. They had the chance to put Stearns and Shavatapan away. And they just weren't able to do it. And again, for Stearns, that forehand just firing. And it was the biggest weapon on the court. And then I legitimately don't know if I've ever seen Charlotte Shavatapan make an unforced error. They just put so many balls in play. They were, you know, Fela had the volley, I believe it was, or maybe it was a Machkane. She missed it in the net. I think that was a 5-4 point in that tiebreaker. 7-5, it goes to Texas. And I have to say, you know what also made the difference down the home stretch? The Texas men. And of course, typical you know, uh, giving credit to a man for what a woman did on the court. All of you who want to make fun of me for saying that fact do so now. When I say it was credit to the Texas men, they were rowdy. And, of course, the Texas women were the ones who got the job done. But the Texas men did everything in their freaking power to make this a home match for their fellow Longhorns. Elliot Spaziri was all in on trying to get in Ashley Leahy's head in both doubles and singles. And we'll get back to that note in a little bit. But... Look, it was a home environment. You could hear the Texas fight, Texas fight, on and on and on and on. And that energy level, it translated to the doubles point. It translated to the tiebreakers. They take both tiebreakers. And at that point, when you give freshmen a little bit of belief, that's when they're most dangerous. And I mean, look, they were... They were outstanding to take that doubles point, and we've seen Pepperdine take four singles wins before. They did it against Stanford earlier in the tournament. And by the way, you know, Texas wins this match 4-3. I don't think that's a spoiler alert for anyone at this point, but 
if no, if Pepperdine would have won this tournament, they would have beaten Stanford, they would have beaten Michigan, they would have beaten UCLA, they would have beaten North Carolina, and then they would have beaten Texas. That would have perhaps been, and not perhaps, I'm going to say it, that would have been the greatest national championship run in modern era. Not that they're the greatest team in modern era, but that would have been the single greatest run, to, because to beat all of those teams consecutively would have been just stunning. And simply put, it looked like Pepperdine was going to do it. I mean, you talk about that first set in singles because this Pepperdine team, to have the leadership of Leahy and Fela and Fakuda, who have been there before, you know, to have those seniors matching up against the five freshmen of Texas, Pepperdine was never out of it. And of course, you look at those first sets, Leahy blitzes through Peyton Stearns, played her best set of the team tournament pretty unequivocally with a 6-2 decision over uh, Stearns at one. Fela, 6-2 over Tarati. You know, Tarati's a death by a thousand paper cuts, but you know who is unfazed by a paper cut? Jessica Fela. If you don't have a big weapon to hurt her, to hit through her, she is going to beat you because she just, again, if you can't hurt her, she's too consistent. She's too relentless. She was phenomenal in her victory over Anna Tarati uh, to put a 6-2, 6-3 win. And the first, again, another first set on the board for Pepperdine. They also get first sets from Lisa Zar at five, who had lost twice all season long. And Nikki Redelick at six, who, you know, did not play well early in this tournament, but she came out swinging. And with all due respect to Malika Rapalu, Rapalu didn't have the weapon to hurt Redelick at all. And by the way, the contrast between Lisa Zar, Kylie Collins, what a fun contrast uh, of styles. And, you know, again, they got the four first sets they needed. So after the first hour and a half, we were back at neutral because who cares that Texas won the doubles point? Pepperdine was halfway there. They got their four first sets. And then again, this crowd comes into play. And, you know, it's worth noting, I already mentioned it. I've never seen Charlotte Shabatapan make an error. For her to beat Shiori Fukuda 6-3-6-2 is a credit to the stud of a freshman who might legitimately be as good as Stearns, Tarati, Sun, all these players are. I might like Shabatapan more than any player in the Texas lineup. She's just that well-rounded of a player. And again, she jumped on Fukuda. She took the early break lead. She was all over her. She just, you know, it, it really felt like she kept Fukuda on her back foot and she just was able to take Fukuda's first strike, redirect it, get Shiori stretched to the outer third she was sensational and you know she puts that quick point on the board to make it 2-0 Texas but then the waves made their move uh you know I already talked about it Fela just so so solid against Tarati 6-2 6-3 victory it's 2-1 then Lisa Czar wraps up her match 6-3 and she gets the breaker 7-6 and Collins scrapped and clawed and again Lisa Czar I'd say an aggressive baseliner but not aggressive and then she's, you know, taking the ball early, going for winners, but she is going to move you around the court. She absorbed Collins' power, redirected. Lisa Zar moves so, so well. And again, she's only lost like twice this season. Uh, not that Collins has lost frequently either, but Lisa Zar played a spectacular match. So now it's 2 all, just like that. Three matches left on court, and we're going to get back to the battle at number one, and I promise you we're going to talk about Sun Patch Galeva. But to wrap everything else up, Redelick got her breaks. She held her nerve. She, you know, again, she, it felt like Rapalu was in so many different deuce games with Redelick, and Redelick just seemed to always emerge with that extra shotter. You know, Rapalu would build a 15-40 lead, and, and Redelick would scratch her way back, and just, she was excellent. 6-4, 7-5, that's another point on the board for the Waves. But now it's time to talk about number one and three singles, because those were the swing matches in this one. And look, Peyton Stearns, she's going to go pro. 
she's probably going to have a successful pro career. That forehand, it takes you three seconds of watching to be like, she hits it harder than everyone else. That ball is different than everyone else's. And, I mean, to win a 6-0 set against Ashley Leahy, things have to go your way. You have to play a freaking high level of tennis, and that's exactly what she was able to do. And now it's time to get back to the Texas men. They were relentless towards Ashley Leahy. It was... It was borderline ridiculous at times. Just, again, the th- not necessarily the content of what they were saying, but just the volume and the frequency with which they were saying it. And they were all over Leahy. And look, Ashley Leahy admitted it in the post-match press conference that it frustrated her that she was not happy with their antics. And you can understand why. Now, personally, I will say, I thought it was fair play. Like, if, if the Pepperdine men were there, they would have been dishing it right back at Peyton Stearns. And, you know, Coach Joffe was being really, really funny in the post-match press conference. He said, yeah, what helped Peyton Stearns flip her match? Well, it helped that she had 15 cute guys cheering her on, and he was being facetious, but it really did help to have 15 guys cheering her on, providing that volume, providing that energy boost. They were on top of Leahy, uh, you know, again, with their energy, with their noise, just, you know, not only was Peyton Stearns being aggressive and attacking, but to have that in the background as well is not helpful for any player. I challenge anyone to thrive in that sort of environment. And then the key was first four games of the third set, which Stearns takes 6-2, there were four deuce points. Stearns gets three of them. Leahy only gets one. Like One of them was a net court trickling over for Peyton Stearns to earn the point, earn either a break or a hold either way to earn that deuce point. And those little things make the difference. And again, for Peyton Stearns to lose her first match in the round of 16 to Arena Contos Ciamares, I think it was 6-2-6-1, 6-2-6-love. She responded as well as anyone I have seen respond. The straight set win over both uh, Florida State, a straight set win, a dominant fashion as well uh, in the semifinal over NC State. And then to flip the script here on Leahy, that's point number three for the Longhorns. And now it's time to talk about the best level of clinching tennis I have ever seen in a three-all national championship match between two freaking freshmen. And I tweeted this out, but never let a good tweet go to, uh, go to waste. In the year of the super senior, in the year of COVID, for a three-all championship match to come down to two freshmen, that's just the irony we deserve, right? And in Lulu Sun, who had lost like three times all season long, in Tasha Pachkaleva, who hadn't lost a match since the national indoors, and that was her one loss this entire season, you had two players who have been clutch all year long. Tasha Pachkaleva was she was nails. I, I know that's a, that's a, a colloquial term. She was just tough as stones against Lulu Sun. And, you know, again, it's three all home stretch of that second set. All eyes are turned on her. She gets the job done. She earns that tiebreaker, extends the match to a third set. And just the quality of play between Lulu Sun and Tasia Pachkaleva in that third set. It was phenomenal. These are two freshmen who had never played an NCAA match before, and they're just winners down the line, winners cross-court, slug after slug after slug from the baseline, no quit in either of them. Pachkaleva, I'm pretty sure, in the 4-all game when she was serving, or maybe it was, uh, I think it was the 4-all game, or maybe it was 4-3, she was trailing, whatever it was. She hit an ace down the tee after, like, rolling in slice serve after slice serve, and she's like, you know what, it's time for me to go big flat, and she did it, and she executed it with success and I won't lie I was sitting next to my guys Adam Steinberg head coach of Michigan but was the head coach at Pepperdine where he won a national championship in 2006 where
for his assistant coach was a coach by the name of Per Nielsen, who happens to be the head coach of Pepperdine. And, you know, again, I was with his, uh, former Michigan assistant, now Nebraska head coach, my guy, Sean Mamie. And by the way, if you want to draw a direct line from the people who endorsed my worst habits into my professional career right now, you can legitimately blame both Adam and Sean for me doing what I do at this moment because they embraced me when I was a college freshman. Anyways, they were in awe too. I mean, just to see two freshmen perform at this level, to see the quality of play, and there was a gasp amongst the grounds in Orlando because at that point you had the 500 Florida fans who had already filtered in for the men's final. You had all of these different people in place uh, getting ready for what was an exciting men's final that we're going to talk about in a second, I promise. But I just I can't emphasize enough how high a quality, just how impressive it was from both of these players. I know it's a cliche. I abhor the cliches, but that someone had to lose this match was truly devastating. And look, it felt like Pashkaleva was making her move. I think it was either the four, I think it was the four all game, or maybe it was the three all game that Lulu Sun was serving. That Pashkaleva had her chances, and Sun kind of scrapped her way out of that. And then Lulu Sun had her chances, and Pashkaleva scratched her way out of that hold. And then, you know, again, Lulu Sun started to hold that love, and that's where things are like, oh, Lulu, I think might have found her rhythm, and just, I mean. She gets the break in that final game. She just was so aggressive with her return of serve and son, the lefty, just her ability to take that backhand early, take it cross-court. Pachkaleva also plays a little bit flatter with her forehand, but at times, you know, again, was having success taking the ball early down the line as well. And then, you know, Pachkaleva tried to change things up, hit this high elevated moon ball, and Lulu Sun was like, nope, don't give me time because I'm going to smack it for a winner. And that's exactly what Lulu Sun was doing. This match had everything and just again the quality of play was laughable how good these two freshmen are they're freshmen and they were just simply sensational and in the end Lulu Sun she drops that second set it does not matter she comes back earns a 6-4-6-7-7-5 victory to earn the title for these Texas Longhorns the celebration was on and again you feel for this Pepperdine team who you know, again, to beat Stanford, Michigan, North Carolina, UCLA in the same event, that's a national championship run. But they had to get through one more gauntlet. They had to get through these Texas Longhorns. And look, Texas played two 4-3 matches all season long. Oh, excuse me. They might have played three 4-3 matches. They played three 4-3 matches all season long. One of them was in January at Oklahoma. They then, you know, they, they're up. They probably should have won that national indoor final against North Carolina. They just blinked as freshmen. There was no blinking in this match. There was no, you know, Coach Joffe talked all week long. Have we dealt with enough adversity? When you're killing everyone all season long, what happens when your back gets pressed against the wall? Will your team even know how to respond to that moment? Uh, this team did. This team knew how to respond. And I mean, again, you look up and down the board at the stats for this Texas team. It was just laughable how successful they were all season long. The fact that they were able to, you know, again, you just look up and down the board. Charlotte Chavatapan's final record as a freshman is just silly. She ends the year 25-1, and 21-1 at four singles. Let's look through. She was 25-1. and one. Uh, Lulu Sun was 21 and 2. Uh, Kylie Collins was 17 and 3. M- Malika Rapalu was 19 and 2. 
Fernando Lebrana was 16 and 1. Peyton Stearns, like the 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 ugly stepson of the family was 13 and 4 at number 1 singles. Are you kidding me? Like that's your worst number and you're 13 and 4. Get out of town with how ridiculous that is. They won over 85% of their matches at 4 of the 6 singles fights. They won over 90% of their matches at 3 of the 6 singles fights. What are we doing here, folks? Like I mean, and they're five freshmen. They're five freshmen. They're not going anywhere unless they decide to turn pro this team is coming back next season and even if they do lose a Stearns or you know one of these players has a really successful pro summer which is more than possible this team is just ridiculous it's laughable how good they are and it's laughable that a team as good as Pepperdine doesn't end up the season or a team as good as North Carolina a team as good as UCLA doesn't end as your national champions and just again the post-mortem for this Pepperdine team the doubles came back to bite them. Like, and it was so funny because they won doubles in the round of 16, won in the quarterfinals, won in the semifinals. If you talk to Coach Nielsen after those matches, he would laugh and say, we didn't see it coming. Absolutely not. Like, I was at, I'll just say the quote now. He's like, we were practicing before the round of 16. We tried these new teams, brought in Anastasia Machkine, and he looked at assistant coach Pete Billingham, and he goes, well, that's not going to work. And Pete was like, oh, let's give it one more day. Let's try it. And it worked. They were two, one successful tiebreaker away from winning this match. That's how good this Pepperdine team is. And, you know, again, Ashley Leahy has given everything she has to college tennis. We owe her so much gratitude as fans, as advocates of the sport, because she embodies everything that college tennis is supposed to be about. She was sensational. And it's just, it's so tough. You could see it on her face, on Pear's face, the pain they felt for not being able to get through this match, especially after the four threes broke their way early in the tournament. But again, they didn't lose this match. Pepperdine, uh, excuse me, Texas won it. And I cannot emphasize, if, if possible, go watch the replay of that third set between Sun and, uh, and uh, Ima- uh, excuse me, and Pachkaleva. Even if you know the ending, you're still going to find the quality of tennis to be just ridiculous. It's a third set, all eyes on them. They're two freshmen who have never been in this scenario before. And they earned the win and just... It was silly. It was absolutely silly, and all of the credit needs to go to Coach uh, Howard Joffe, co- uh, you know, associate or assistant head coach Taylor Fogelman, who, by the way, after the match, uh, the Texas team's going, Taylor Fogelman, clap, 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 which is a testament to, I'm sure, their thoughts of him as well. Um, I don't know what else to say. Texas deserved this thoroughly. They were the best team when all this was said and done. I think it would have been a 4-3 match if it was North Carolina in the final. I think it would have been a 4-3 match if it was UCLA in the final. I think you play this NCAA tournament 100 times. I legitimately think those four teams might each emerge. I would say the major- I think Pepperdine, Texas, and, uh, and UNC were on a class just a little bit above UCLA and NC State in the end. I just think their depth, one through six. I, I think if you play the tournament 100 times, those three teams, Pepperdine, Texas, UNC, they each win it a third of the time. And on this scenario, the, ball, the deuce points, the, you know, the big shots, the big moments broke the way of the Texas Longhorns. And again, so much credit to Coach Howard Joffe. Five freaking freshmen. They can all come back next season. They can literally do this again. And, you know, this year they had a stretch of like 12 matches where they have dropped seven individual flights. I bet they could do it next year and drop four individual flights. It's just a joke. You actually have a rotating cast of characters. You could play anywhere in the lineup and find success if you're Coach Howard Joffe. Hats off to him. Hats off to Longhorn Nation. Hats off to Pepperdine Nation as well. Sincerely, they contributed 
I mean, they played their role in what was an instant classic, the best match I've ever attended in person. Certainly, it was the first national championship I've ever attended in person, but that's as good, uh, NCAA championship, excuse me, but that's as good as it gets. And again, 4-3, Carolina beat Texas at the indoors, 4-3, Texas beats Pepperdine at the outdoors. If you don't like that, you don't like ta- – like, I, what else do I have to say, folks? Support your local college tennis team. If there's a school nearby, go to a local match. Maybe you're not going to see Texas Pepperdine quality, but I promise this energy level, this excitement, that's what you see at every NCAA event, every college tennis match. And again, all of the credit in the world to these Texas Longhorns. They emerge as your 2021 national champions, and let's be honest, truth be told, they've earned it. Thoroughly, this isn't a fluke. There's going to be no asterisk. Oh, it's a COVID season. To that, I say, not that anyone's saying it. I'm arguing with a straw man. But these Texas Longhorns were phenomenal. They thoroughly deserve to call themselves NCAA champions. And you know who else deserves to thoroughly be named the champs? These Florida Gators, who, let's be honest, if you listen to this podcast, you know I was skeptical of the team all season long. And it starts with the national indoors. And again, This is why you don't give hot takes, folks. If you go back to that opening weekend podcast, it's not just me. He won't say it now, or maybe he would admit it because he's a good guy, but Chris Halioris, our SEC correspondent, Matt Stokowiak, we all were concerned after Florida dropped a 4-3 ITA kickoff weekend match to the Texas Longhorns. But guess what? That was one of two losses they suffered all season, and those Longhorns ended up making the NCAA semifinals. They ended up going 10-1 in 4-3 matches all season long. That loss, you know, in the grand scheme of things, is a good loss. You lose 4-3 on the road to a team that makes the NCAA semifinals. There is no shame in that fact. And look, I, I'm i not going to say I called them soft, but I did, ch- I, I did question the toughness of this Florida team because over the past three seasons, I've seen them, when they're going to beat someone, they're going to crush them. They're going to beat up on you 4-1 or 4-0 if you don't have the talent level to match them 1-6. through And, you know, I would say this still about Baylor. Uh, I think those two teams have as broad of a pathway to four points as any two teams across the country. And by the way, I still feel that way about Baylor following their loss to uh, to these Florida Gators. And we'll talk about it from the Baylor perspective in a little bit. But I mean, look, Florida just won a national championship after dropping in the doubles point. There were, what, 30 matches played here in Orlando. It was a 26-4 and record for the teams uh, that won the doubles point. One of those four losses, I should say two of those four losses, belong to these Florida Gators. Uh, two, they caused two of the, I suppose, losses after the doubles point, beating Texas A&M and now beating the Baylor Bears. And Look, let's talk about the doubles quickly because it's unfair to blitz through what went so well for the Baylor Bears. Charlie Broom and Finn Bass are awesome. Like, they were they were your all-tournament doubles team, number three doubles position. They were that exceptional all season long, but... I mean, it was just like a weird doubles point. Shelton and Riffis won 6-0, and, you know, La and Fronson won, uh, or excuse me, Broom and Bass won 6-1, and then, like, before you knew it, it was coming down to La and Fronson, and they won 6-2, and it was just like there was so much energy in the building, and, you know, for both of these teams, because of how late the NCAA final went for the women, it felt like both of these teams warmed up six, seven times, and it felt like both of these teams were, you know, again, just kind of incapable of finding a rhythm early in the match because of how scattered that warm-up had been. Because, again, at this point, the bleachers are packed. 
500, 600, 700 people. I may be using hyperbole. I honestly don't know how many people fit into the college section of the USTA National Campus, but it was full. Like Everyone was in there, and you had a rowdy Florida crowd too. Whatever tailgating they were doing in the parking lot, sign me up for that next time. You had one guy screaming at the top of his lung, and meanwhile you had, you know, McCain Kessler and Elliot Orkin, Chase Perez Blanco, all these former Gators in the crowd as well that cheer on their boys. That's a testament to the family, to the, you know, again, the program that Brian Shelton has built. And it's also a testament to the fact that we are playing this event in Florida and games, you know, it's a national championship. Not hard for a good program to get their fans to travel when it's that close to a national championship match. And look, I said this in a tweet as well. The old ball coach was there, Steve Spurrier. Dickie V wasn't in the house this night, but he was there earlier in the week. Roy Williams of Carolina was in the house. If college tennis is good enough for them, it is certainly good enough for us. What was so crazy is Baylor takes that 1-0 doubles point, and it's just like, it's a, it, it was raced. It was like, it, because of the energy in the crowd, you didn't even remember that a doubles point happened. Once the singles started, everything was so locked in, so focused on the singles action. And I mean, look, do we start with the fact that Baylor took three first sets, right? They got halfway to the finish line. Char- uh, Charlie Broom took it to Ben Shelton in set number one, 6-3 decision for him there at five singles. And Nick got an early break of Blaze Bicknell at four singles. He held on to it. Takes a 6-3 first set over an undefeated Bicknell at number four. And then, you know, again, there were a couple of first sets that came down to the finish line. And this is where the Gators began to make their move. For Svenla not to get that 7-6 first set over Andy Andrade. Andrade takes the breaker 8-6. Law had his chances to close out that set. That was critical. For Sam Riffis to get the late break, to take that 7-5 decision against Matias Soto and, you know, earn that set, that was critical because at that point, Ben Shelton had sent his match had sent his match three, and Bicknell had gotten the break at number four singles, and it looked like that match was going at three as well. And you just think, if Sven closes out Andy Andrade at the first set at three singles, we may legitimately be having a completely different conversation here today because the energy the crowd got from the simultaneous Riffis and Andrade sets ending at the same time the Gators started yelling. And again, you talk about the difference in this match. It wasn't anything on the court. It was off the court. This crowd was rowdy. And whether it was, then you hear me louding there, that, that's what these people were doing on the bleachers. They were doing over the rails. They were just on top of everyone of these Baylor players. And in particular, no one did a better job of embracing that crowd than Ben Shelton, who flips that second set on Charlie so quickly. Seems like he won a 6-1 second set in about 20 minutes and just Charlie lost confidence in his forehand. And then, you know, again, that's a split set. And Gujar at number six, who hadn't lost a match at six singles all year long, took it to Spencer Furman. I mean, no ifs, ands, or buts about it. The lefty was the more aggressive player. He was the one doing the attacking. He was the one who was dictating the terms of engagement, the terms of play, and he ends up earning the victory. 6-3-7-6, and what was so amazing is, you know, again, it, it just all happened so quickly for the Gators, for them to get that first set from Gujar, and, you know, for Andrade to take that first set, Riffis to take that first set, 
just felt like, and then Shelton takes that second set. It feels like Shelton took the second set at the time when the others took their first, and it was like, okay, yes, we only got three first sets, but Ben has already sent his match three sets, and we know Blaze is going to be fighting at four, and you know, even Duarte was going to stay around at number one, although credit to Adrian Boitan after getting broken early in the set and early in the match, of the, or first set and early in the match, you know, he came out swinging. He found that Adrian Boitan zone. He was, in my opinion, going to close out Duarte Valley and win that match at number one singles put a second point on the board for these Baylor Bears but look for Andy Andrade six love second set over Sven La he just he rode that momentum he played such confident tennis and we've talked about this before when Andy Andrade is shaky it's very very ugly when Andy Andrade is confident it looks as good as any player in the country that forehand working the ball the second he got space cross court and his ability to take that backhand early drive it through the court again when he took that first set 8-6 you just felt like there was nothing that could stop him he rips through a second set 6-love and then I've said it before the better the competition the better the Sam Riffis he and Soto that could have been a number one singles match. That, that could have been an NCAA singles final. That's how high the quality of play was. But Riffis had all of the answers, and he embraces the crowd as well as anyone. And again, the energy provided by the crowd. I'm not going to say it rattled the Baylor players, although I think, to be honest, and I say this lovingly, it did a little bit. But more than anything, it fueled these Florida Gators who just... It was a home match. It was a home match for the University of Florida. And look, Andrade, seven six six love. He puts his point on the board. Riffis, 7563. That's point number two. Almost immediately after, Gujar closes out Furman, and that's the one that hurts the most because Furman had been such a sure thing for the Baylor Bears. But look, Gujar again was the aggressor. He took it to him. That result had more to do with Gujar than it did with Furman, 6375. And then it was a race to the finish line. And I love Charlie Broom like my own. He knows that. He was, you know, my boy, Max Fliegner's freshman when Fliegner was a senior at Dartmouth, and I've watched his growth. I know how excellent he is. This podcast has been a Charlie Broom fan podcast the entire time. I think we got called out for it on Twitter at one point. But Ben Shelton, I'm I'm, I'm not going to beat the narrative to death because you've all seen the tweets. Oh, the the son clinches for the father. Has there been a better moment in store in in tennis history? But what an awesome moment it was! Like, do I need to beat that story to death? I think you guys already know how special it is for Ben Shelton, who, as Coach Brian said in the press conference, wasn't sure he was going to play tennis as his main sport. Didn't know if he loved it and was as invested in it. And then, you know, I think he fell in love with college tennis, the environment, how excellent and exciting it can be, and no one did a better job of embracing the crowd than Ben Shelton. And by the way, talking about this crowd, through the first 30 minutes of this match, I think legitimately every line call on every court was appealed to to the chair umpire. That's how thin the margins were. That's how close these balls are landing to the line, how high a quality of level it was. But I mean, look, Shelton, I had someone in the crowd, uh, an assistant coach who will remain nameless, compare Shelton's game to Denis Shapovalov. And, you know, again, on a more granular level, we'll see, but or on a broader level, we'll see, but on a more granular level, amongst number five singles players, it's a pretty good comparison. He's so aggressive, so explosive, can hit the ball so big, constantly moving forward. And again, no one would turn to the crowd and embrace it more. And, you know, sometimes there's a faux embracing of the crowd. Sometimes you're trying to do that. You get distracted. You get caught up in the moment. No, 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 no. That was not the case for Ben Shelton. He was fueled by this performance. He was exceptional. And then again, 
for uh, these uh, for these Florida Gators, uh, 3-6, 6-1, 6-2. They found four singles victories against Baylor. Let me repeat that. They won four singles matches against the f***ing Baylor Bears. Do you know how hard that is to do? Do you know how good Baylor is at each and every singles position? And again, we've talked about it all all week long. 20, what was it, 26-4 and four was the team that won the doubles point in these matches here in Orlando. Florida did it twice. That's a testament to their talent. It's a testament to the coaching of Coach Tanner Stump, Coach Brian Shelton, and just these guys had it. They peaked at exactly the right point. I will also say it certainly helped that their circadian rhythm, there's a big word for you, their circadian rhythms were match to playing the night matches. They had done it at all four sessions here in Orlando. You could tell. You know, for the Baylor Bears, playing under the lights, playing that late. I'm not going to say you could tell, but certainly it was an adjustment to where it wasn't an adjustment for Florida. They had done it all tournament long. That was clearly an advantage for them. And then again, the crowd, the crowd, the crowd. That's what makes college tennis special. College tennis crowds can engage and influence a match more than any other professional crowd, and in my opinion, any other collegiate athletic crowd out there. I know, look, I've been at the big house. I've seen 100,000, 110,000 fans roar down on a team, and certainly that means something, but there's an intimacy to tennis where it's 500 people yelling directly at one person. It's what makes the sport so special. It's what makes the environment so spectacular. And this Florida crowd propelled these Gators at the start of singles when it looked like they were down and out and when they needed that energy boost. And once they got momentum, they never let go of it. They raced to the finish line. And Coach Brian Shelton becomes the first coach in NCAA tennis history to earn both a women's and a men's team title, team division one title, excuse me, um, across, uh, you know, again, uh, at two different schools. He, and just ever. I mean, he did it at Georgia Tech. He now does it here at Florida. And this feels like the culmination of a long process for these Florida Gators. And look, go listen to our 2019 podcast. You're not going to find a bigger fan of the 2019 Florida Gators than right here in Alex Gruskin. I'm sorry to refer to myself to third person, but I thought that team with Crawford, with Riffis, with Valle, Andrade, Perez, Inglitson, McCain, Kessler, on and on, Lucas Greif, on and on and on and on. I called them the national champions in 2019. Our running joke was, oh, congratulations to Wisconsin. You have earned the right to play Florida in the first round of the national indoors in 2020. And look, the Gators came up short. Whether it was the 2019 SCC championship match, they uh, in the semifinals, they lose to Tennessee. They lose to a Texas team in the 2019 semifinals that I'm sorry, they should have beaten on paper. They were the better team. And again, matches pay- played on paper are just that, on paper, not played out in reality. And Texas beat them. Florida didn't lose that match. Texas beat them. But I expected Florida to win that match. And then they don't even qualify for the national indoors this year. Now, certainly, if it was a 16-team field, they would have. But it wasn't. And they don't. They lose to Texas. And they're not at that event. And, you know, then they rip through another SEC regular season undefeated only to lose in another championship match to Tennessee. And, you know, again, talking to Sam uh, Riffis, talking to Duarte Valle, that loss helped them. It recentered them. It refocused them. It reminded them, hey, guys, we can lose if we don't play our best match. Let's bring the energy. Let's bring the noise. Let's bring the intensity. They do that, and when you do that combined with the talent they have, that is all of the ingredients of a national championship team. And now, the postmortem on Baylor. You're crushed. You're crushed for the seniors. I know how hard Charlie took this loss. I know Nick and Spencer, this was their last time on the job. They were so close. And look, Boyton's going to be back. 
Soto's going to be back. Law's going to be back. I know Finn Bass and Alex Garcia, and they've got all of these options on the roster. And, of course, Coach Woodson's going to pull a card or two up off their sleeve. And, look, these Baylor Bears will, will return. But if this match is played on a neutral site, you take the doubles point You prob- in three first sets. You probably like Baylor in that match. And this is why, again, I turned to the crowd making the difference. I really think they did. I think that was everything. And I'm, I'm not saying that, you know, again— I'm not trying to take anything away from these Florida players. I just said it. When you have that talent, that mentality, and then the added bonus to it pretty much being a home crowd, 500 roaring fans, you're going to win the national championship. And that's what Florida does. I could not be more impressed by these Gators' performance. They proved me wrong. I just, you know, I should have stuck to my gumption. I should have said, you know what? I'm sticking with Florida. I, they, I should have stuck with them through 2019, through 2020, through 2021. They probably would have been my pick last year. Oh, I would have probably been North Carolina or U.S see given where those teams were at the time but and a credit to coach Shelton and the guys who I you know I asked them about and they were quick to give praise to the guys who helped build the programs the Kesslers the Perez's the Crawfords of the world you feel terrible Oliver Crawford who embodied everything about college tennis wasn't able to be on this roster to celebrate with his guys in the scariest part much like Texas Florida brings back everyone I don't care what's happening at Georgia. I don't care about this Texas team next year. I mean, I do care about them. They're going to be very, very good as well. These Gators are going to be right back. They lose Johannes Inglitson. They're going to replace him with Matthias Seymour. They're going to bring in a couple of other people as well. This team is full of studs. This team will be back competing at the national level, and God help anyone who has to play them because, again, their pathway to six, point, uh, six points, yes, six points, honestly, but their pathway to four points is broad as anyone. I could not be more proud for a guy like, or happy for a guy like Tanner Stump. You're not going to find a nicer guy, uh, just a stone-cold killer as well, uh, that perfect combination. And, again, to Coach Shelton, just such a well-deserved, well-earned title. That's a guy who does everything right, um, and you just got to give all of the credit in the world to these Florida Gators. Now, again, Baylor scrapped. They clawed. They could have won this match. You play this match 10 times, they're going to win it at least three times, in my opinion, but not in, even in front of that crowd. But not on this day, not in this moment. The Gators were the better team, thoroughly deserving to be named national champion. And again, I want to bring in Chris. I want to bring in Matt at some point to offer their thoughts as well. But just... When you look back at the team event in Orlando, regardless of all the hoopla of the rankings, regardless of everything that happened in the first five months, it doesn't get better than the week of team tennis we just saw. It was a phenomenal event. So much credit to the USTA, so much credit to the NCAA, the ITA, everyone for helping who, who helped put on this event, the players, the coaches, the fans who bought in. It was a special, special week of tennis. And, you know, again, I'm never going to forget it. You never forget your first NCAA championship you cover in person. I'm just honored to have had the chance to be there, to be embraced by these players. And it was just, it was a special run. It was absolutely special. Do you notice how I just turned their national championship into a compliment of me into why I'm happy. That's a special talent, folks. But again, special talent's the word to describe both Texas and Florida. Those are your well-deserving 2021 national champions. And again, I know it's just me, so I don't want to take too much longer on this podcast. Just quickly on the first few days of individuals. Go back and listen to the Alex Banchilla podcast. You scroll through the end. uh, You can miss the NCAA women's final preview and just scroll to our talk about the men's individuals. Everything we've said is applied. Blumberg's healthy. He's fit. He's confident. First 10-time All-American in NCAA history, uh, in tennis history. He's going to be the only one. I can guarantee you that now. He, to beat Cannon Kingsley, he was down 3-0, faced a break point 4-4-0, ends up winning the match 4-4. He beats Hattie Habib today 7-5, 6-2 as well after facing 
an early breakpoint chance at, I think, three all or four all in that first set. He's back, folks, and he's slimmed down, and he's fit, and he's firing in the forehand, and he's confident, and he's playing loose, and he's playing freely, and he's playing like he wants that damn wild card to launch his pro career. I'm sorry. I know everyone else is good. He's the guy to beat because Will Blumberg's best has always been better than everyone else in college tennis, really since he walked on campus as a freshman. Uh, he has advanced to uh, the round of 16. He's now going to face, uh, I believe, Gabriel Dialu of Georgia, but uh, of Kentucky, excuse me. But again, who are my top five contenders? It sucks that two of them have to play in the round of 16, but Alexi Galarno, we've all known how good he is. He looks healthy. He looks ready to launch his pro career, and he's going to take on another guy who's ready to do the same and was my player of the day here on day two, Alexander Kovacevic, my guy, senior out of Illinois, who has lost one match this season, and he lost it, uh, obviously, to John McNally back then, and uh, the McNally Draxel match on day one. The overrule that McNally, it was a ridiculous overrule of McNally, and that the ball was out. I cannot believe he got overruled on that call. And then, you know, he had some choice words for the chair umpire afterwards as well, but we'll save that for another time. Kovacevic, Galarno, that, that's everything you want. That's, that's round of 16 NCAA tennis. I lean Kovacevic just because I think he's got a little bit more pop but again it's going to be like 95 degrees when they play tomorrow at noon so that match going to be exciting for Adrian Boyton two three set matches he's one to get to the round of 16 after playing the team event that's a testament to again coach Woodson that Baylor program for getting him rocking and rolling in terms of your other matches today I told you all Sifosatan the Monsi was going to be one of the breakthrough players of this college tennis universe he may of this college tennis season excuse me he makes the round of 16 and now we finally get to see that match between he and Sam Riffis, which went unfinished in the round of 16. They're going to play now here in the round of 16, so a little poetry for you there. That match is going to be spectacular. Hijikata, Rinky, I don't know why I said it in that order. Rinky Hijikata playing phenomenal tennis, the sort of tennis we all knew he was capable of. He looks healthy. It's going to be a battle between him and Val Vashiro tomorrow as well. DeCamps Famba, uh, Adam Walton versus Liam Draxel. That match is guaranteed two and a half hours. You can pencil that in right now. You're asking me for my top five contenders. Blumberg's number one. The winner of Kovacevic, uh, Galarno, is number two. Kooky Monsters lingering. Always, He looks fit. He looks ready to launch his pro career as well. I mean, then by virtue of being on the other side of the draw, I probably go again. Who has looked the best? I love my boy Seeps, but I'm telling you, Sam Riff is the better the competition, the better he plays. If he can get through that match, he's probably my favorite to make the final on the other side of the draw. And then, yeah, Rinky. Rinky's damn good right now. Again, I named 5 of 16. It's like half, it's a third of the field, essentially, but... Really, really good tennis played on the men's side. In terms of the women's side, I'm just telling you, there's a look in Alexa Graham's eyes. She's locked in. She's focused. She wants that freaking wild card as well. Uh, she escaped. She was down 5-2. Actually ended up getting it back to a breaker. Lost the first set 6-7 to Natasha Subash, the uber-talented second year out of Virginia. She then takes the next two sets 0-1. She's fit. She handles this heat so well also. She's going to take on Stella Perez-Somariba, who had a very nice straight set win over Peyton Stearns today, you know, Abby Forbes still very much alive in the draw. She's as tough of an out, as good of an athlete that Perez, Somariba, Graham, and Forbes are all in the same section of the draw, same round of 16 section. That's nuts. Uh, I think they're both great. I think Georgia Drummy's playing outstanding tennis. Do not sleep on Drummy uh, entering the home stretch. She's in the round of 16. And then, you know, for me, the battle of tomorrow, first of all, shout out to Kelly Chen, 
who was had a rough like there's no denying she did not have the season she wanted from a team perspective she comes back the duke blue devils do not sleep on that next season they are your sneaky national championship in the hunt contenders with the texases of the world uh, she makes the round of 16. Davitella versus Jessica Fela tomorrow will probably be our tennis channel match of the day. Emma Navarro versus Meg Kowalski should be super, super exciting as well. And then just again, you're asking me for my top five. I'm never going to pick against the GOAT, Sarah Davitella. I've never seen her lose when she doesn't want to. You know, uh, I already mentioned Alexa Graham. Yes, EPS, we've seen do it before. Drummy's my sleeper. And then Anna Rogers, shout out to her. She did not have a good team event. She has found a rhythm here uh, in, in the individual singles. I think all of these players are dangerous. I think they're all excellent, and I think they all could absolutely end up as your national champions. <sighs> That's your singles breakdown. Again, it's really early in the doubles. I, I still will ride Blumberg Cernock when Will plays better, his best. He's just better than everyone else on a doubles court. Um, and he and Brian, the aggression they play with, they put a bunch of returns in the court as well. That's your team to beat. You know, Sam Cullen and Reynolds, your number one seed, are awesome. Walton and Harper, your number three seeds, are awesome as well. There's a lot of good teams up and down the board. But, you know, doubles is a toss-up. Even if it's two out of three sets, no ad scoring, and the third set's a 10-point breaker, I really do think anyone can win these doubles events. On the women's side, Suns and Collins are hot uh, right now. They're obviously, they've got the momentum on their side. I've talked about how good I think Smith and Rogers can be. You know, you look up and down here, Daniel and Riemi. I've talked to NC State coach Simon Earnshaw. He says there were absolutely moments of the season where Daniel and Riemi were taking it to Rodgers and Smith in practice, and if I think that highly of Rodgers and Smith, certainly I should feel the same about NC State. I'll say this. North Carolina is not leaving Orlando without a national title. I'm going to lock that take in now. If I'm wrong, you can all make fun of me down the road, and I hope you do on Twitter. The engagement we have gotten all week long has been absolutely sensational, but give me a North Carolina team to win one of these four individual events. Do I want to just make straight picks? Now we're just going to recap it day in, day out. And again, you can follow all of the action day in, day out with us on the Tennis One app. I have been on the call every day and will continue to be with my guy, Andy Katz. So be on the lookout for that. And again, if you've missed any of our coverage of this NCAA tournament, you can find it all on our website, CrackedRackets.com. A huge shout out to super producer Daniel Westoff, who as always has a f*** of an editing job to do. And I throw him content at random hours and he always gets the job done. So shout out to him. Shout out to Chris, to Matt, to everyone who has helped make this college atmosphere feel so special, and to all of you who give me shout-outs on Twitter. I love you all sincerely. I Again, it's meant the world to me to know we have that degree of support. I'm going to get a call from my mom saying, Alex, stop saying you have a big ego. It's it's, it's so self-deprecating. You just sound insecure. I'm not insecure, Mom. You know what I say. A wise man once said, insecurity built trust, and she's going to get mad at me for that impression. She's probably the only person who listens to the 56-minute Martin, for the record, she's going to be like, that's not my voice. I don't sound like that. Um, And she doesn't sound like that at all. She's the most intelligent, loving woman I've ever met. Dad, you're all right as well. Um, But yeah, again, to have the embrace from all of you, has it fueled the ego? There's no doubt about that. But it means the world to us to know that there are so many of you out there who care about college tennis the way we do, who care about these athletes the way we do. God, I'm going to get yelled at for that impression. That's all I can think about now. Westoff, leave it in. Um, But... Sincerely, on behalf of all of us here at Cracked Rackets, thank you for making these college championships so special. And again, 
we are going to get back to the professional tennis talk. There will be mini breaks and Great Shot podcasts this week preparing all of you listeners for our French Open content. So be on the lookout for that. I am sorry, Mom, for that impression. It's going to continue to bother me, but you're actually going to laugh about it, so I'm not too worried. But again, sincerely, you all probably know this. If you want to follow us, the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Cracked Rackets. You want to follow me directly. I am at Great Shot Pod. With that in mind, for our wonderful Super producers Max Fleener and Daniel Westoff. For our friends at Midwest Sports, go to MidwestSports.com. Use that promo code CR15. For our friends at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network. And for the 2021 Team National Champions, the Texas Women's Tennis Team, the Florida Men's Tennis Team, I am your host, Alex Gruskin. You've been listening to the Mini Break Podcast, and you know what we say. That's the break, and we will see you all next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.